Season four. Trashy divorces. Welcome back, everybody. Welcome back. We know you missed us after we weren't away at all last week with our listener divorces, which were awesome. A little bit. But we're back with your regular programming lineup to launch season four this week. We're going to take the money and run. Originally recorded by Eagles. This song, Take the Money and Run, featured on the Fly Like an Eagle album, which incidentally is my least favorite song pretty much ever. You've mentioned that. I have no idea why. Huh. Can't stand it. Yeah. This week, oh, Stacy, we our stories had more similarities. Like, we went in with the money angle. Sure. Lots and lots of money in both of these people. Yeah, no, but there's also, there are mistresses, there's, there's extortion plots, there's... Like innovation, innovation, yeah. Inventors and all kinds of weird bad behavior. There's a lot of through lines, is all I'm saying. Take out your trashy divorces, bingo cards. So, Stacey, this week you covered. This week I covered the Bezos divorce that played out this year. Jeff Bezos, founder of Amazon, owner of Washington Post. It's amazing it just started the beginning of this year. Yeah. His wife, Mackenzie, they were together for 25 years and uh, they are no more. He went from richest person in the world to, I think, second or third richest person. She's the third richest woman alive. That didn't hurt him a lot. No, no, no. $137 billion takes a lot of the sting out of everything. And Alicia, who do you have for us this week? Uh, I covered the trashy two and a half-ish <laughs> divorces of everybody's favorite weirdo inventor. Mid-century modern. Yeah. <laughs> Everybody's favorite MCM billionaire, Howard Hughes. Good Lord, what a story. It, yeah. Okay, before we get to our right. take the money and run stories this week, let's go ahead and mention super fast. We were super excited to be invited at, as a guest starring appearance with our friends Margie and Rachel on their pod, Textual Tension. Yeah, it was super fun. The episode dropped last week and um, it is... It's really fun to listen to, and it's, I don't know, we both, by the end of it, were exhausted from laughing so hard. It really was, it was great to be on Textual Tension. So Textual Tension, one host will kind of read the summary and plot line of a quote-unquote romance novel to each other, and we got to be involved in the, uh, y'all, it was bad. As bad as romance, my ass it is was what that was. The by far the loopiest romance anyway, novel ever written. It was super fun. It was super fun. So. Check us out there. That released last week. If you want to hear your favorite trashy divorces hosts talk about some bad, some bad romance. <laughs> okay, and then we have a few new patrons to welcome this week. We do in our magic mirror. Mm-hmm. Thank you, y'all, for joining us over on the Patreon side. You are the very best. Thousands of thank yous. Our new patrons this week include HJ, Shelly A, Grace T, Julie B, Marsha B, Nani P, Sandra M, Diane D, Brooke H, Kendall S, Rachel A, Kristen M, Delaney T, Rachel R, Georgia C, Terry F, Meg B, Kim W, Suzanne R, and Laura M S. Thank you. Thank y'all so much for joining us over there. What did you hear this week on Patreon? We had a huge week over on Patreon. Monday, we dropped Trashtrology with Libra. So a happy birthday to all of our Libra friends, including Karen Validal, whose daughter Emily wrote in and wants her Libra mama to have the happiest year 
ever. Happy birthday. You rock, Karen. Happy birthday, Karen. Tuesday, I dropped my bonus divorce, which was so... It was very true crimey. Very true crime adjacent. The trashy divorce of Claudine Langer and Andy Williams, as well as Claudine's... Subsequent murder. <laughs> of Cyber uh, Spider Savage. That is entirely true. Mm-hmm. Wednesday... We wrapped up Trashy Tutors for now, talking about Elizabeth Woodville. But don't worry, Trashy Tutors is evolving into Trashier Tutors, coming to you next Tuesday with the mistresses of Henry VIII. Oh, yeah. Thursday kitchen sink. Yep. Stacey, what did we do? Oh, there was there was handwriting analysis. There was an allegation of Melania Trump having a side piece. Elizabeth Warren's tax plans for and your how, trashy divorce. How it will uh, how it will force multimillionaires apart just to lower their tax bill, maybe. And oh, Elizabeth the first right? dress is the backed in ultra cloth, but it really is Elizabeth the first dress. It is coming to y'all at Hampton Court Palace. So for our friends in England, October crap twenty third of February. Go see it and take pictures. And I need to know about this. And then on Friday, oh, we, we did a uh, totally new thing. Rolled out a brand new thing just because people asked. Because I think people have figured out that we don't have lives and we are media obsessives. <laughs> so it's people true. who like go to work and play with their kids and aren't obsessively following what's happening in the American political scene, we rolled out trashy impeachment, which we were hoping to make kind of a bite-sized summary of what's been happening. And oh, you know, I think we're going to keep at it because it looks like this is going to keep going and. Yeah, trashy impeachment was a lot of fun because we are pretty up to the current. Unless we're recording, we can tell you what's going on at any given second. Yeah. So that was pretty fun. It is open access. It is on access. Patreon. So if you yourself would like a political catch up, super rambly political catch up, we got you, boo. Mm-hmm. Trashy divorces style. You can head over to Patreon.com/slash/trashydivorces, and even without subscribing, you can go see what we have up and open. Trashy impeachment just may be a thing. Yep. Also, so you know about Mistresses of Henry VIII. That's coming this week. Also, Wednesday, Wednesday. I'm so excited. Our new Wednesday limited series is coming with Side Piece. Yep. And we have changed the name. Several times. It's Mistresses of All Genders. Mistresses of All Genders. So Side Piece. And Stacey, you're starting this week with? That's a great question. Are you going to keep it a mystery for all of us? Let's keep it a mystery. Okay. Keeping it a mystery. Okay, I love it. Not going to tell you. Coming for you on Wednesday. Don't you go looking at Airtable. Spreadsheet magic. All right. I think that wraps the intro. You ready to get to our two inventor billionaires? Excited to be back. So yeah, let's do this. Go, go, go. So, Alicia, yeah, uh, who you got? I got uh, a real dick bag this week. Oh, good. I got a real that's dick what, bag. That's what we like. This week, I'm covering the trashy divorces of Howard Hughes. Mm. I mean, this guy. Like, it's triumph and tragedy all wrapped into one, but let's add in some severe childhood shit and some mental illness, too, with uh, a significant amount of head trauma and all the money in the world. And just to catch up, this is the, like genius dude who like by the end of his life had locked himself in his house and yep. his fingernails were eight feet long and... same guy yeah yeah okay. good times quite the fall there quite so the fall. howard hughes is uh okay yikes his dad is a missouri boy uh born in 1869 i think you mean misery 
Misery. Misery boy. His dad has a sister who becomes an opera and stage singer. Dad also has a brother that's a novelist and a screenwriter. So there's some sibling rivalry that happens, and dad has some Hollywood ties, and dad's a hustler. He moves around a bunch to find his fortune and ends up settling in Houston and marries a gal named Aline Stone Gano, who was born in 1883. So 20 like, years. Ish, like 16. Okay, but here's the coolest thing about Aline, mama. She's a descendant of Catherine of Valois, no. Dowager Queen of England with no. her second husband, Owen Tudor. What? I mean, does she know this at the time? I would think so. She is Houston big money. Okay, okay. She's Houston big money. So they're the type of people who would keep track of that kind of thing. thing. Right. Pops, so dad, Pops marries a socialite who is related to Catherine of Valois and Owen Tudor and all is well. Mom and Pops marry in 1904. Old Howard is born Christmas Eve, 1905. Capricorn baby. Okay. Capricorn men. (laughs) What are we going to do with you? We've heard some things. Dad has this gig, right? He's got a job, but he takes on other jobs. And there ends up being this piece of machinery. It's this rotor bit, which allows oil to be attained where it couldn't be attained before. And Dad doesn't necessarily invent this little piece of machinery, but he does patent it, which is where the money is, and ends up founding Sharp Hughes Tool Company, which becomes worth all of the money in 1909. Sure. Money will no longer be a problem for the Hughes family. I mean, money is going to be a huge problem, but not because of the lack of it. Gotcha. Money gives him control. Howard Jr. He's Silver Spoon, Golden Boy. Mm -hmm. He likes it. He wants it and will do anything to get it. And this just isn't professionally like control. He wants control personally and professionally. Control is his watchword. It's a weird kid. <laughs> so dad's working and playboying around and Howard is home with his mom a lot. When mom and dad are together, in order to stop mom and dad from fighting, Howard pretends to be sick and ill. Mm. So you can good, a, Yeah, this is good okay. marriage so far. Lots of, lots of foreshadowing here. But when mom is alone with Howard, she is very overprotective, obsessive attention which leads Howard to his charming lifelong fear of germs. This relationship has been called emotionally incestuous. Hmm. So she compulsively checks over his naked body, temperature, bowel movements. He is treated like a king. Like, how did you poop today? How is your pee? What have you eaten? Let's check over you for any. It is weird. You don't have anything to say to that because it's so fucking weird. Like, I would just have, like, I don't know, different times. I I bet by 16 he could be out of there. Well, funny that you say that uh, because maybe by the time Howard was 16, mom needed something new to focus all of her weirdness on. And she sadly dies when Howard is 16 oh. in 1922 in surgery with a ectopic pregnancy. Oh, So at 16, Howard has no mom who's obsessively obsessed over him. At 18, Howard's dad dies of a heart attack. And then Howard is quite rich. Well, sad for Howard, better for his bank account. So dad is smart enough to leave a will, which Howard doesn't do. Coming to that at the end of the story. But Daddy Sr. gives 75% of the tool company to Howard and the remaining 25% to his parents and siblings. But at the age of 19... Howard goes to court 
front of a judge. He proves himself to be a competent adult because legal age of majority was 21. And he's like, I'm not waiting until I'm 21 to take fucking control. Thanks very much. So at the age of 19, uh, in 1925, he buys out the rest of his family, becoming full owner of the yeah the tool, tool company, company, and then promptly leaves that business to be tended by this guy named Noah Dietrich for like the next 30 years. He, whatever, just take care so of it. So he's like the silent partner, basically? Well, he owns it. He knows what's going on, but that company brings him in like $50 million a year, so right. you just run it. I'm going to go over here and do my thing and so like dad had patented a piece of like an oil derrick or something one it's of the a rotor yeah three-headed like, rotor okay mm-hmm. well, well that's as simple, simple as i as can it make it needs yeah. to be okay. okay so 1925 he buys out the rest of the family it's called also, residual income <laughs> also in 1925 howard is going to marry his first wife hmm. ella rice a lot happening very fast in his life ella rice one ella rice one ella rice one ella rice She is also, like his mother, a Houston socialite. And her family, the Rices, are the Rices of Rice Rice University, University. which her uncle donated to the city of Houston. Yeah. All right. Okay. Big names. Big names. In the Rice family, money and power and access, not a problem. Now, Ella's two years older than Howard. They went to the same high school together. She was voted football queen sometime in between 1917 and 1919. Because she was a great quarterback? <laughs> no, she's the toast of the school, like yeah, the I jocks know. digger. I, I get it. She kind of reminds me of um, Zelda Fitzgerald. Okay. So she is probably not going to have much time for the younger super nerd Howard, who instead is spending his high school years developing a radio broadcasting tower and the first motorized bicycle in Houston. Yeah. Okay. Geek's going to geek. It comes up in my story, too. So family connections bring Ella and Howard together. They are married June 1st, 1925. Neither one of them are 21 yet, but no matter. They are married in a garden ceremony at Ella's sister's home. And the newlyweds should be happy, but they sure as fuck aren't. They sure as fuck aren't. (laughs) They sure as fuck aren't. (laughs) He marries her for her Houston connections. She is maybe unaware she's being used and most assuredly not aware she's marrying a fucking crazy person so they get hitched they head on out to california because remember noah dietrich Mm -hmm. is watching the business Mm -hmm. so it's a perfectly good idea for howard to head on out to hollywood to make some movies because you know his dad had that showbiz thing and dad was all over that scene so it is certainly my destiny to land myself in hollywood but hollywood doesn't necessarily like him He's kind of a dweeb, but they like that he has all that cash. He is seen as a sucker with money, but you're also forgetting that he's super weird. So he gets to Hollywood and wants to learn kind of admirable because he does this a number of times in his life, but like wants to learn the business from the ground up. So he is taking apart film projectors and putting them back together again. And learning the ins and outs of movie making, which is made much easier for him because he stays awake for like 40 hours at a time. Oh. And just like will open a can of beans every once in a while or eat a bacon sandwich because I got to fuel up for my obsessive compulsive disorder rages. Wow. Okay. I didn't. I I guess I thought that the mental illness manifested much later in life. No, it starts no, early. Okay. And there's actually a pivot point that... Okay. Is going to take you by surprise coming up, but it it happens early. 
He's got some significant issues and there's no medication for obsessive compulsive disorder at right. this time. Like there's not. No. And, and I'll, I'll submit that uh, my dad was uh, a pilot and an inventor. And so like, I, I heard parts of the Howard Hughes story all throughout my oh, childhood. Sure. You've <laughs> Did, never heard didn't it like hear this. these parts. Yeah. <laughs> And these are your uh, ant bits on the porch. So he's Come, let me tell you a story. So he's out in Hollywood and wants to learn filmmaking by taking apart projection. Well, it makes you wonder, <laughs> like legit. Like I think about the movie Sling Blade. Like if he had had not a penny to his name, would he have been better just sitting in a small town somewhere, being the motor fix it guy? And when something broke in that town, you brought it down to old Howard, right? You know, bring it down to old Socrates. Yeah, he'll fix it right up for you. Yeah. Okay. But remember Howard's married. So sure to in his forty a- hour Rice. rages and oh Rice Wine. Ella. Ella Rice Wine. Ella Rice Wine is like literally locked inside the house and Princess in the Tower, right? And Howard's making films. One actually with one actually gets an Oscar. So <laughs> that's cool. Okay. But during the time that Ella's locked up in the tower. Howard is also carrying on this hot and heavy, like, three-year affair with this actress named Billy Love, who ends up getting engaged to marry him. They head on to Nevada, because she's married, too. And they move in together to see what that would be like, but set themselves up as brother and sister. That's what everybody thinks. But that relationship, probably because she goes and lives with him, and she's like, you're a fucking crazy person. That relationship breaks off. But wait, when that tanks... Howard breaks back into Billy's home, back in Hollywood, takes all of her furniture, loads it in a van, drives that van to fucking Wiltshire Boulevard and sets it on fire. So cool. Oh, my God. Okay. According to a Houston historian, he just wasn't cut out to be a husband. It never occurred to him to go home. But he likes his girls at home. And even... When he's married or still single, he stashes women all over town and puts spies on their asses so they can't go anywhere else either. He's very weird. Yeah, this. I was thinking when you said earlier that he was weird, that it meant that he had a hard time connecting with people. Sounds like he doesn't, at least with women. It sounds like he knows. No, we're going to get there. Okay. Hold on. So let's go back to poor Ella Rice Wine for a second. Can sure. you imagine? No. Like... If there were only such a thing as medication for OCD, yeah. but Howard's full blown. And after four years, Ella is like, get me the fuck out of here. So she heads on back to Houston and files for divorce on the grounds of abandonment and cruelty. Ella that same year goes on to marry a man named James Winston, and they spend 59 happy years wow. together until her death in 1992. Wow. I know. Good for her. Good for them. Happy ending for her. And I'm terribly pleased about that bit because the rest of the story just garbage is pile bad. after garbage pile. But Trashy Divorce 1 handled. Yeah. Ella Rice Wine has a very happy Man. ending. It sounds like this is a good guy to get away from. So good for her. Good for Billy, the mistress. Like, good. For, yeah. Good job. Well, yeah. Oh, oh, oh it gets better. Mm-hmm. Okay. <laughs> so now Howard's a free man and he really likes brunettes. Like, he has a definite type. But he likes girls, but he's also weird around them. But money helps. Sure. And remember, Noah still has the business handled. Right. 50 million a year coming in. Money, not a problem. Billy Dove out of the picture. But Howard's like, all right, I'm still stashing women all over town. That's fine. But I'm going to make some more pictures. And with his next little uh, endeavor, it's a film called Hell's Angels, which 
is a disaster because he spends so long filming it. It was a silent film. He spends so long filming it and waiting for the clouds to be exactly perfect before he can shoot that scene. Right. That talkies have now taken over in Hollywood. (laughs) And Mm. so he has to reshoot it again. And he ends up booting the original actress in the silent film. She has a heavy accent. Can't use her. And replaces her with this gal named Harleen Carpenter, whose screen name will become Jean Harlow. Oh. He introduced a lot of Hollywood talent to the scene. Mm -hmm. Jane Russell, Jean Harlow. Like, okay. Hell's Angels filming this is also where he gets into his first plane crash. Just kind of keep a plane crash tally. Oh. He walks away. Well, clearly. This time. But he's emboldened. Next, he's going to make this film called Scarface, which the Hayes office in Hollywood has utterly blackballed for its violence, rape, and incest. Uh, It's about, like, loosely Al Capone and Mm -hmm. gangsta. So, Howard Control, not one to take things lying down, nobody tells him no, goes on to sue the Hayes office in Hollywood and wins and ends up showing the film he wants. Like, don't make any mistake howard is not a champion of first amendment rights sure just knows how to gear up publicity right Mm -hmm. like there's this thing with jane russell and the publicity he wants and like what he makes her do with her bra or lack of one and he he's a he's a fucking louse okay but howard's done now with the film industry and by the early to mid 1930s he has decided instead he wants to be a pilot okay i was about to ask like so when does this guy get into Making airplanes. So, okay. Okay, just like he did with films. He wants to learn how it all works by taking it apart and putting it back together again. And remember, money is no object. So he takes a gig for $250 a month with American Airlines and works as a baggage handler and assistant pilot. I think he goes by the name of Charles Howard or something. Totally like the brother-sister undercover thing. He's going to assume, like, he could have been a great actor, right? Let me assume this role Mm. of baggage handler for american airlines anyway that takes like two months two months later he and his working buddy quit and they found hughes aircraft (laughs) and they make fast planes and this is not a podcast about aviation i'm sorry to break it to you stacy it's about divorces so let me sum this thing up he's a millionaire sportsman he sets a lot of records i'm sorry i shouldn't say that with such disdain in my voice but I researched a lot of material, and a lot of it is about his aviation strides and yeah. innovation and changing the world of flight. Yeah, all of ha- which he, he did. Super cool inventor. Okay. <laughs> he sets a lot of records. Weirdo genius. Weirdo genius. Film at 11. He crashes a few more planes without cool. significant injury. I See, think that we're is, up to like three crashes That now. is really... I mean, most people three don't... Three so far. I know. Most people don't walk away from one, so... He's honored by FDR in 1937. He ends up setting a world record for around the world in three days and 19 hours in 1938. Like, I've been training my whole life to stay awake yeah, for three days and 19 80 hours. hours. Yeah. He so comes, he was he was like an adventurer kind of like he was he was right the kind of guy who movie yeah Life Magazine would write him up that kind of stuff. Oh wait, Life Magazine, Time Magazine does mm-hmm. write him up in 1938. Because he's a public hero. There right. are like four parades inside of three days. and um, But Howard doesn't like being written up. So he buys all 
175,000 copies of that magazine and burns them all. Okay. Okay. So by 1940, he's bought part of TWA because money's never going to be a problem, but it's always going to be a problem. During this time, God, like, let's pull out a list of who is who in Hollywood because he dates them to all of them. Catherine Hepburn, Ava Gardner, Ginger Rogers, Jane Russell, Olivia de Havilland, like, name a starlet, large, medium, small, doesn't matter. He's got them holed up. And it also helps when he goes out to parties that he brings trays of expensive jewelry, brooches and rings and necklaces. So, like, starlets are like, oh, sure, I'd love this. Emerald necklace. Thanks. I'll dance with you again. Like, where'd you get that? Oh, the guy with the jewelry tray. The guy with the fucking jewelry tray. All right. Okay, so I'm sure that helps. Not pretentious at all. Uh, Lots of ladies, right, still are going to leave him in the lurch because he may be super rich and famous, but he's also fucking weird. weird. Okay. 1940s. TWA in... He does the original design for this plane called the Lockheed Constellation, Mm -hmm. and the war is on, so he's got some government contracts, and he crashes some more. He's schmoozing it up with Elliot Roosevelt, FDR's son, and all of his political friends. So they're coming out to California where he's bamboozling them with wine, women, and song, but not getting much result for the government's request to, hey, make a flying boat so we can win the war. Flying boats are tougher than you'd think. Mm, They seem kind of tough. Flying boats are a little tougher. This was the inspiration for... Spruce Goose. Well, but for Tony Stark in Iron Man. Sure. Right? Like just the genius womanizing Mr. Fix-It. Okay. Sure, I can go with that. Like just genius inventor. I have another historical parallel coming up, but maybe maybe Iron Man for the the new kids. A little bit of... Okay. Maybe. Yeah, I can totally see that. In 1946, he crashes again. And it's bad. It's super bad. Uh, He's in shock. He's got burns. They pretty much leave him in the hospital on a shit ton of morphine and leave him to die. Because there's no way that he's going to be okay. Right. But he recovers. He's never right again. But hold on. Here's the weirdest part. Howard's 41 when this happens. The same age as his tutor relative, Henry VIII, when his joust for real accident takes him down. Oh, do you remember this? Yeah. Okay. So. Yeah, he has a concussion or he's in a coma for a minute. And that's then... exactly right. And it changes Henry VIII's personality forever. It does Howard's too. So let's think about little kingly boys, right? Because mm-hmm. it's kind of the same. It it's is. very. You're inspected, rejected, mm-hmm. let's look at your poop, let's, you know, you're catered, you're, no one ever tells you no, you have a golden spoon. If you're in trouble for something, you have a whipping boy that somebody else spanks for you, like, never suffer a consequence, and you have a traumatic accident at this onset in middle age that you never physically recover from, and it makes you weirder than you already were weird in the beginning. Okay. Neither one of them physically recovers. But Howard's addiction to morphine and codeine are born in this. So add weird, add physical consequence, making it super weird, and then add a drug addiction. Right, right. So, yeah. So So, famous eccentric now has a problem. So 
both Henry VIII and Howard Hughes each become way more reclusive and secretive and manifest their personality quirks into like the worst ways beginning at the same age. Like, just thought it was neat. Also, Howard Hughes during this time is designing the hospital bed that everyone uses now where you can adjust the bed for yourself because you used to just be able to lay straight out until he makes the bed that you can... It, right. The adjustable, okay. yeah. So that's something. The adjustable hospital bed. Sure. Thank you, Howard Hughes. Okay. So while recovering, they're still trying to make the fucking flying plane. The and, flying boat. Yeah, the flying plane boat. And there's some fun Senate extortion that happens here. Senate extortion? Yeah. Okay. Senate extortion. We love an extortion plot. Let's add yeah. it to a morphine coding OCPD psych profile. Mine has one too, so we'll Extortion's not fun unless it's fun for everyone, Stacey. Okay. So there's a senator, Senator Brewster, and he wants to haul Howard in for wasting $40 million of your tax dollars. And Howard Hughes is like, I'm happy to come in and ends up testifying that this whole thing started because, in fact, Senator Brewster, didn't you and I have lunch on this day in the ambassador where you said you would go ahead and call off this sham invest investigation if I went ahead and let TWA merge with Pan American Airlines, because all y'all are and always will be a bunch of crooks. And by the way, I've spent way more than $40 million of my own money, so you can come fuck right off. And why don't you come out and watch my plane fly? Which it does. November 2nd, 1947, 60 tons of a flying plane boat <laughs> leave from Long Beach Harbor Goes airborne, stays up for like a mile. It can fly. Woo. All right. Howard Hughes is like, fuck off. My boat flies. That's the end of the Brewster hearings. Brewster actually has a hard time. He doesn't get reelected, has a hard time finding a job, and is found begging in the Senate hallways for like any kind of job somebody can give him after that because wow. Howard Hughes essentially ruins him. Ruined his career. That's amazing. But Howard is still a ladies' man, and apparently he can dance. And, well, the jewelry and the dancing, yeah. right, help a lot. So he is man about town. He proposes to Elizabeth Taylor, who turns him down. Good call. He has this thing. He really likes to tell every girl that he's dancing with or giving jewelry to that he'll marry them. A little like Edward IV that way. Like, oh, sure, I just want to fuck you. Oh, we got to get married. Okay, we can totally do that. Just put a pin in that. Lana Turner believes this and thinks that she's going to marry him at one point. And like, this is the South. Like, you know, it's serious when you monogram your towels with your future married name, which Lana Turner does monogram new towels for herself. And Howard sees them and is like, nope, nobody. Nah. Okay. So after conquering the film world and then the world of aviation and being injured as fuck, and halfway more than out of his mind, in 1948, in May, he decides he's missing movies a lot. So he goes ahead and buys RKA Studios. It's a good way to get girls. It, well, and it gets you back into... But he never yeah. goes to the studio. He has an office across the street where he watches everything that's been filmed in the studio that day that people bring over to him so he can stay in his weird little recluse room. Control. He owns a cheap Chevy with no radio. He's like, who do I have to impress? He never has money on him. Like, he, money is not even anything that crosses his mind on a goddamn giving day. Okay. 
still staying up in all the marathon sessions. Helped along now by morphine and codeine. So super fun. Now his sessions can go 60 hours. And people are simply talking like through doors or pushing papers underneath. Or if he's lonely, he'll have someone come in the room and sit with him. But they're never allowed to talk. He can talk to them. They don't talk back. Okay. Has he considered getting a cat? <laughs> I can't even imagine his head would blow off his body. Okay. So his OCD is getting worse. In the, ni- in the early 1950s, he buys a home in Las Vegas called The Greenhouse. And he likes Vegas because he can go there and be kind of anonymous and be up all night. He bunks at the greenhouse until 1955. He does some retrofitting to it. Just give you an idea about a little bit of his home craziness. He brings in multiple hotel size air conditioners to cool like a 2,000 square foot house. Yeah. So he wanted it cold, cold. Cold, cold. He has 50 telephones installed with like hearing boosters because I I forgot to mention he's super hard of hearing now. Uh. Okay. Yeah, jet engines are loud. Well, and crashing and head, Mm. it's all bad. So RKO is kind of tanking and he starts firing employees right and left for being communists. So here's another wrench in the story. Because technically he has two divorces. Maybe. Maybe he has two and a half. Okay, so you ready? Mm -hmm. There's a young actress named Terry Moore and she is 15 when Howard engineers a meeting with her. Howard, everybody's favorite control man, has to have her, which parallels nicely, honestly, with Henry VIII and Catherine Howard when he's a dirty middle-aged old man and she's a young, innocent 15-year-old virgin and she's like the last virgin in Hollywood, but she's 15. All right. She won't fuck him till we get married and Howard has no problem with that because he wants to marry everyone. So he's going to do anything to get her into bed, which he, he marries does. a 15-year-old? Well, I think she's a little... They marry in 1949, but listen to how they marry. Terry says they were secretly married on a chartered yacht out in international waters. Oh. So... That will get you around a lot of... They marry, but the papers are tossed and doesn't mean anything really until he dies. She's married three more times and divorced three more times, too. Ultimately, Terry Moore says it was Hughes' need for other women that drove them apart. He was honest in business, but dishonest with women. His motto was, it's okay as long as you don't get caught. He could lie better than anyone. Hmm. She says that they were, quote unquote, married until 1956, but they never divorced. Oh, And she marries more? But she remarries again in 1956 as soon as this one's over. So it's all weird. Put a pin in that. So like they break up, but but also they married in international waters and there's no documentation. It all seems flimsy. Okay. Correct. Okay. But we have one more wife to get to. Okay. Jean Peters. Jean Peters meets Howard back in the 40s. They have a super hot and heavy romance by 1947 that's looking pretty serious. But she is not going to give it up because she's a career gal. She's a good actress, too. Like, people like her. She's really well thought of. She's like, I can't marry you. But that doesn't stop Howard's goons from following her around, too. Like, he's got honey stashed everywhere. Yeah. Weird. 
1947, she is fresh off a divorce from a Texas oil man, and that marriage really only lasted a few months. And Howard and Jean Peters at this time do marry, which is weird because he's a fucking recluse. Like, Jean is a talented actress. She's friends with Marilyn Monroe. Her life is fine. But she ends up marrying him. And for the next 14 years, Jean pretty much lives by the phone, waiting for him to call. Because they don't see each other. He's too busy moving from hotel to hotel room. Oh yeah, and buying up Las Vegas hotels so he can move into them too. She retires. Jean Peter like retires from acting, retires from everything, and lives as a fucking recluse just waiting for him to call her. She's in lockdown. Like, she's the one who puts herself in the tower and stays there for 14 fucking years. Later, I know. Okay. Later, it's reported that she does do some charity and philanthropy work. She'd maybe take some classes at UCLA. But 14 years of being phone-a-wife apparently grows stale. And by 1971, they are done. Gene agrees to no future claim on his estate in exchange for $70,000 a year, which is a little less than half a million these days. Okay. She refuses to speak about the marriage and says she prefers to focus on the present and the future. She does quickly remarry, just like Ella Ricewine, and this marriage is a keeper. They, they remain married until his death. Jean Peters does not want to be known as Mrs. Howard Hughes for the rest of her life. She is quoted, I'm a realist. I know what the score is and I know who the superstar is. So GTFO, wife, two and a half, okay. out. Okay. There are so many threads that we can talk about, but we have wrapped the trashy divorces part here. Okay. Until his death in April 1976, Hughes is coddled and pretty much kept by a bunch of sycophants that just let all of his weird OCD things take over. Cleansing rituals, curtains have to be closed and taped, windows are taped, everything is touched with tissues, alcohol is used religiously to wipe everything down, you can never shake anybody's hand, you have to have gloves on, everything all the time, and oh, You can only open the drawer for the tiniest amount or the door for the tiniest amount because then dust and insects will get in. You have to get in and out before the bugs. I mean, this sounds like a miserable way to live, but... um... He dies of kidney failure in April of 1976. Remember, he is over six feet tall. I've seen it it both reported 6'1 and 6'4. He weighs 93 pounds at the time of his death. Okay, the best part, he leaves no will. None. Nada. Nothing. Zero. So there's a lot of nonsense in court battles. Because remember the never divorced Terry Moore? Mm -hmm. Remember, okay, international sea wedding? She wants her share. Along with some other dude. Her alleged share. Her alleged share. (laughs) Along with this other dude who claims to have picked up this raggled old man out in the desert one night. It's like a country and western song. Brings him back to Las Vegas. So there's a version of the will called the Mormon will. That this guy, this good Samaritan, gets 25%. Oh, yeah. This podcast is trashy divorces, not trashy probate. But I might get in a little bit to this on trashy tidbits. Well, and so he he had no children through any of these? Terry Moore references all these mystery alleged children. Right, but there were no known, like, acknowledged. Um, We're going to talk about it on trashy tidbits this week. No, so this podcast is trashy divorces, not trashy probate. 
So I'm going to get into the will and the fallout and the execution and who, how all that bit happened on Trashy Tidbits this week. Okay. May I ask though? Sure. What was his net worth roughly at the time of his death? Oh God, six billion. I don't know. Okay. Well, no, because he sells TWA. Mm-hmm. So not only was he making a fortune on Tool Hughes, he sold TWA, which gives him the ability to buy literally like eight hotel properties in There's, Las Vegas. I mean, that seems like a pretty control good Las- way to make some money, too, is to own a bunch of ho- hotels in Vegas. This story is so full of the yikes. Yeah. Yeah. We're, yeah. Okay. Billions. Billions right. is what he was worth. I look like, forward to recording Trashy Tidbits with you. Mm. Uh, richest man in the U.S. until... I don't know who's coming next. Okay. So that's Howard Hughes. I like him even less than when I started this whole stupid story. And I don't know how to count trash cans for this one. So I tried. I'm going to give 59 trash cans to Ella Rice Wine and 59 just because of her happy next marriage and all the happiness she had. So 59 there. Terry Moore, international yacht wedding, Mm -hmm. sea wife. Uh, gets 350,000 trash cans because that's the amount she got from his estate mm. when it went into probate. All right. Okay. Poor Jean Peters. I'm going to give her 14 trash cans for the years she waited by the phone being married to a crazy man waiting for him to call. Yeah, that's sad. Howard Hughes himself gets all the trash cans, but he'd never touch them because, yeah. Germs, yeah. But he'd want to control them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Never touch them. I don't know. He would make them fly. Weird dude. And I think the Henry VIII parallel, like it's very strange. Sometimes the connections that pop in my brain when I'm researching a story. No, I mean. But there's Howard Hughes. And he's going to touch so many other famous divorcees because he literally every side he had a thousand girlfriends who were all in the spreadsheet for trashy divorces with their own trashy divorces. So right. it's not the last time we're going to see old Howard, old weird Howard Hughes, ass Howard Hughes. <laughs> That's amazing. So at the time of his death, he was over six feet tall, weighed ninety three pounds, and had a net worth of about many billions of dollars. I mean, many. I don't know if it's like it's but enormous sure, billions, enormous billions. And he dies, like, on a plane en route, and they end up finding hypodermic needles just sticking in his body. Whoever you're paying that much money to care for you is not caring for you that well, dude. Get a friend. Sometimes it's good to tell a Capricorn man no. Sometimes yeah, it's good. Yeah, I think the, the problem really, yeah, people who are this powerful, like, they... He'd never been told no. They never learn boundaries, yeah, because they'll just fire you. If he, it, but like, we're sort of seeing that play out. But in his public right, life, dad today. dies. Who's everybody's been on dad's payroll, and mm-hmm. now they're all on Howard's payroll, right. and nobody's gonna talk yeah. back to. No, he's you the know. new princeling. Yeah, he's your court and keep. You know. Yeah. I, ugh. Anyway, that's right. the tr- trashy divorce arc of Howard Weirdo Hughes. Yeah, I I knew very little of that. Creeper. I knew about Hughes Aviation. Like that was. My dad. No, I set my shit on fire. Because you... What? Anyway, let's take a break. Let's take a break. And come back for some current rich rich, rich people saga. Mm, yes. Yes. So, Stacy, 
You oh, got yes. some billion, billion, billions. More billions than Howard Hughes. A lot more billions. More billions than anyone, really. More billions than it's easy to think about, really. Because this is the really oddly trashy divorce of Jeff Bezos and his wife of 25 years, Mackenzie Bezos. 25 years. Yep. Let's hear it. I'm telling the Bezos divorce story this week because it has almost everything. There's international intrigue. There's cyber crimes. There's a catastrophic misfire. There's potentially scary technology. But what this story doesn't have, interestingly enough, is a particularly trashy divorce. Ah. Sort of like okay. external forces make it trashy. It but has everything. Except what the podcast All is about. Those. Sure. Let's dig in. <laughs> Everyone knows who Jeff Bezos is, so we're going to start with his wife, again, of 25 years, Mackenzie. Mackenzie Tuttle was born in San Francisco on April 7th, 1970. I don't know what that makes her. Something springish. She's an Aries. Okay. She was raised by a financial planner dad, who must have done quite well, and a stay-at-home mom. Mackenzie herself was shy and took to books and later writing. Aw. She attended the Fru-Fru Connecticut Hotchkiss Boarding School. Ooh, that's pretty free-free. I think so. Then went on to Princeton, where oh. she studied fiction under Toni Morrison. Wow. Who became a mentor throughout the rest of Morrison's life. What? And also Toni Morrison just passed away this year, and it is a tragedy. We miss Toni Morrison, but I didn't know that. Wow. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, Morrison had... Morrison said that she was one of the most talented students she'd ever had. Like, oh, um, wow. Yeah, so... Anyway, so Mackenzie goes to New York after she graduates. She planned to write for a living, but she also planned to eat while she was doing it. So she applied for a job at a hedge fund, and she was interviewed by, I think, the youngest senior vice president in the company history, in the history of the company, named Jeff Bezos. Oh, wow. Workplace romance. Workplace romance. Don't do it. He was also a Princeton grad, so they kind of hit it off. She was really smitten, and there was a profile in vogue of her in 2013 and pretty much all of the like quotes that i use in this section are from that profile link okay. on the website okay she said my office was next door to his and all day long i listened to that fabulous laugh how could you not fall in love with that laugh no this is very sweet they were engaged in three months wow and they were married three months after that Holy cats. Mm -hmm. She was 23 years old. Talk about making big decisions in your life. She was 23 years old. He was probably 29. He's, I don't know. When you, when you know, you know. Yeah. He starts telling her about this crazy idea that he has for an internet-based bookstore. And in 1994, both of them quit the hedge fund, drive across the country, and move to Seattle. It's crazy kids. I mean, yeah. Amazon.com was born, followed soon after by three sons. And then uh, they adopted a daughter from China. So four kids. She worked at Amazon early on. She was a bookkeeper. But once it took off, you know, and there were kids, she focused on the kids. And she sacrificed her writing for about the next decade. Oh, wow. She says, writing is such a pretend profession. Um, nobody is counting on you at all. You can't pretend to be a lawyer or a teacher. It takes a lot of grit to continue. Kids, on the other hand, have an urgent need to be taken care of. After the third child... I knew I couldn't be the kind of parent I wanted to be and continue writing. Those years were just too busy. So I think that's a story that happens to many people. Wow. We talked um, a little bit about this on our book club mm -hmm, for Easy Big Magic. Easy book club with Big Magic. Mm -hmm. So both of the Bezoses are very involved parents. And since they're also 
insanely rich. Uh, they get to do all kinds of educational experiments with the kids. So they've tried homeschooling. They indulge in off-season travels to expose the kids to the world. They've incubated chicken eggs. They've had, like, private Mandarin lessons. They... <laughs> Oh, wow. Um, yeah, sports, clubs. I mean, the world is your oyster. Yeah, that's yeah, exactly, yeah. you've got billions. And they're in, you know, upscale suburban Seattle, like one of those communities. A lot of opportunity. Yeah, yeah. Just, yeah, they're swimming in um, very good water. <laughs> I don't know. Mackenzie, though, she is, she's like the drop-off and pick-up mom, right? Like, other moms are talked to in this profile with Vogue. And they're like, you'd never know she was, Matt's you know, our friend Mac. McKinsey Bezos. Mm-hmm. Like, she's really down to earth. She's really normal. The kids aren't, like, isolated by wealth. They play with the neighborhood kids. I do think they live in the same neighborhood as Bill Gates. Sure, they <laughs> live in a nice kids. neighborhood. Super good neighborhood. <laughs> but, yeah. Um, anyway, so once the kids were old enough not to need constant tending, she was finally able to write some novels. Oh, good. Yay! I love this part. Yeah, the first was called The Testing of Luther Albright, which took 10 years to write, and it won the 2006 American Book Award. Holy fuck! Kind of a big deal. In 2013, she released a book called Traps that had positive reviews. I have not read either of these books. Like many parents with a creative habit, she often gets up very early to write. Jeff Bezos, back in 2013 when things were good, said... Quote, writing makes her really happy. By the time I come down, she will be literally dancing in the kitchen, which the kids and I love. You got to fill your cup up first. Yep. Uh, in 2014, she founded an anti-bullying organization called Bystander Revolution, and she continues to serve as executive director. Good for her. All right. So that's McKinsey. Good person. Jeff. Okay. And like, you know, Jeff Bezos is just somebody who's sort of omnipresent, and I guess I'd never actually kind of looked into anything about his life, because it turns out that his origin story is way more compelling than I knew. For instance, he was born Jeffrey Preston Jorgensen, January 12, 1964. Cap. Cap. Oh, Cap, man. Sometimes you got to tell Capricorn men no. It's well, good for him. Life was telling young Jeffrey Jorgensen no. His mother was 17 at the time of his birth. Oh, wow. She was still in high school. Okay. Uh, I guess she did marry his dad, but that was not meant to be ended in divorce when he was quite young. When Jeff was four, his mom married Miguel Mike Bezos, who was a Cuban immigrant. Really? And um, he was in college at the time. He adopted Jeff, so that's where he got the name Bezos. No longer a good Scandinavian fella. He's Cuban now. He's Cuban now. Anyway, so Mike adopts Jeff. Mike gets his degree from the University of New Mexico, and then the family moves to Houston, where Mike worked as an engineer for Exxon. Oh, wow. Later, they moved to Miami, and high school-aged Jeff worked at McDonald's in the morning and geeked out all day long. He was into science and technology and did not care who knew. He graduated as valedictorian. Good for him. He went to Princeton. He studied electrical engineering and computer science. And he graduated in 1986 with a 4.2 GPA. Jesus Christ, that's crazy. It's crazy. Anyway, yeah, so he's apparently as a kid. Overachiever. Yeah, he apparently as a kid, like, built an alarm from scratch to let him know when his younger siblings were trying to get into his room or something. Like, Whoa. Yeah, he's geeky, nerdy, techy. He's one of those. I didn't know we were doing two Sheldons he's today. A, he's a young Howard Hughes, yeah. as it were. Wow. 
All right. So he, out of college, he like worked for a fintech startup. He got into banking, then the hedge fund where he met Mackenzie. And during that cross-country drive to Seattle with her, he wrote the business plan for this idea he had. Like you do. Cadabra. Is that the name of it? Cadabra? was the name of it. He gets to Seattle and he realizes like, wow, that starts with the third letter of the alphabet, but Amazon starts with the first. So early SEO wizardry. I, I'm not sure. Wow. I'm not sure. what. Anyway, crazy. So he went with Amazon instead. He launched it from his garage on July 5th, 1994, with $300,000 in seed money from his parents. Okay. I mean, he was straight up with everybody. He his told- parents probably got recouped from oh, that loan. Oh, <laughs> uh, he told early investors that the company would almost certainly fail. <laughs> it's a good business plan. Uh, the ones who were willing to take the risk really got some reward for that. Um Amazon has made Jeff and McKenzie a lot of, lot of money, but it's also been controversial. The corporate culture there is described in ruthlessly Darwinian terms, and employees in the field seem to genuinely be treated as interchangeable cogs, whose only function is to meet ever tighter deadlines. While Bezos did boost wages to 15 an hour in 2018, Amazon has just been like drafting on Walmart's earlier, you know, workforce abuse misadventures. Sure. And, you know, I hope that gets sorted somehow. But also I order Amazon constantly, so it's kind of my fault. Anyway, Jeff has had other business interests as well, including a human spaceflight startup called Blue Origin. It was founded in 2000, and it hopes to begin commercial flights of its new Shepard capsule next year. This is unbelievable. Though in fairness, it originally hoped to do that this year. I applaud them for taking their time and not getting anybody killed. So. Yeah, good plan. Good yeah. plan, good plan. But again, I mean, modern day Howard Hughes, a little bit. Let's go to space. Mm-hmm. And yeah, let's take like, you know, civilians to space, uh, commercial space, whatever. All right. Then there was the little matter of his 2013 purchase of the Washington Post. I think he shook his couch cushions around and... Found some quarters. Found uh, $250 million in cash. Sure. And the paper was his which would become a major plot point a few years later and factor into the truly bonzo story that made his divorce trashy. Okay. Shake it out. Shake it out. Part the third. It seems like Jeff and Mackenzie Bezos had a genuinely great marriage for quite a long time. So it came as something of a shock. years. That's remarkable. Mm -hmm. So it came as something of a shock when on January 9th, 2019, Jeff tweeted out a message signed Jeff and Mackenzie that read, Quote, we want to make people aware of a development in our lives. Rich people are so, like, calm. Yeah, oh, it's a very... It's that flat yeah, affect. sure thing. Things are changing, but we're still really rich, so it's kind of going to be okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay. We want to make people aware of a development in our lives. As our family and close friends know, after a long period of Loving exploration and trial separation, we have decided to divorce and continue our shared lives as friends. We feel incredibly lucky to have found each other and deeply grateful for every one of the years we have been married to each other. If we had known we would separate after 25 years, we would do it all again. We've had such a great life together as a married couple, and we also see wonderful futures ahead as parents, friends, partners in ventures and projects, and as individuals pursuing ventures and adventures. Jesus Christ. (laughs) Though the labels might be different, we remain a family, and we remain cherished friends. 
Well, that is a really... Jeff and Mackenzie, consciously uncoupling. Classy email. The thing that I find more horrifying, if we can just back up. Yeah. That was January 2019. Mm-hmm. That's how long this year has been. It, yeah, it I know. feels like... I know. God, that divorce took like eight years, right? No. That was January of this year. Mm-hmm. I know. It's only September. It's Yeah, I know. We're living in very long years. We had like one episode of Trashy Divorces out then. And we were excited because we're like, yeah, we'll, we Bezos. can cover this one in the... Yeah, we didn't. Wow. Yeah, we've actually had to wait for this to play out because what's about to happen was so trashy. Okay, so at the time, January 9th, at the time, they were worth $137 billion. It is such an absurd amount of money that it's hard to think about it. So I'm going to try to, like, give it some context. Okay, good, because my brain hurts. Okay. In the world, where there are roughly 200 countries, 135 of them have an annual gross domestic product that is lower than the wealth of Jeff and Mackenzie Bezos. Oh, my God. Mm Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, so here's another fun fact. You know, these are residents of Seattle in the state of Washington. Governor Jay Inslee proposed a $54.4 billion state budget for fiscal year 2019. This, oh my this God. Year, which means that they could operate the state of Washington Two and, and it's a half times. seven and a half million people. Yeah. For almost three years. <laughs> Unbelievable. I mean, it is hard to $137 billion. That's how lazy we are, America. That is how lazy we are getting Amazon sent to our fucking house that we have made a hundred and thirty seven billionaire because we can't put on pants. You know, I think and actually I think actually Amazon's bigger thing is its web services. Oh, maybe. I think I think the storefront does well, but I think the big, big dollar contract stuff is actually on the back end with big corporations, with like people need secure forever storage. Sure. And that's what they that's what they buy from Jeff Bezos. That's crazy. $137 okay. billion. Yeah, like I'm certain that they've worked hard to earn their money. But oh, for sure. No, but I mean, have they worked harder than, like, have they worked $137 billion harder I then? Guess. Like, I don't think so. So I realize a lot of this is actually stock and that it's more complicated than that and yada, yada, yada. But seriously, I mean, you think about this amount of money... And what could be done with it? And you can kind of understand the lefty sentiment that every billionaire is a policy failure. Like, lots of people start... We started a company, like, $137 billion. <laughs> like, that's, that's just a lot of money. Okay, so because of all of those dollar signs, this pending divorce instantly was the subject of great speculation, sure. as you would expect. We didn't know if it was as amicable as their everybody's happy Twitter message suggested or if McKinsey was going to play hardball. So their entire fortune was built during the marriage and Washington is a community property state, which means that McKinsey is technically entitled to half. Yeah. Could Jeff come up with $68 billion in cash <laughs> and stock, I guess? like. And then the biggest question of all is, would Amazon be part of the divorce? Right. Because they co-own the company, I guess. So tabloids quickly reported out that Jeff and McKenzie had been separated for about a year and that he had begun dating a Los Angeles television personality named Lauren Sanchez, who was herself separated from her husband. Oh. It also soon became clear uh, why Jeff and McKenzie had gone public when they did. Why is that? The day after the tweet, 
the National Enquirer, oh, no. run by the poorly named David Pecker, published a trove. Such a poor name. Such a poor name. Published a trove of sometimes quite saucy text messages between Jeff and Lauren <laughs> in an 11-page expose. Oh, my. That's a lot of copy. It's a lot of copy. And they were what you would expect. I want to smell you. I want to breathe you in. I want to hold you tight. I want to kiss your lips. I love you. I am in love with you. Uh. Yeah, I'll spare you. These are easy to acquire <laughs> if you want to Google. The Inquirer had assigned a team to trail Bezos and Sanchez for months during 2018, photographing them on the sly. And the pictures they published were... um. Not really the big deal here. Like, there were other pictures that were a bigger deal. So the concern for, like, everybody involved, including Amazon, was that Jeff's phone had been hacked somehow. And you can imagine, as a $137 billion rare and the leader of some of the most important companies on the planet, you like, that's a huge, huge problem if his phone has been hacked. And for, like, I don't know why but he was just convinced pretty much right away that the inquirer had gotten his side of the text exchange not her side of the text exchange like that it anyway because she sounded just as dorky as i did yeah no i mean i think they got her texts as well but he just he was convinced that it came from his phone and not hers and i'm not sure why he believed that but that set into motion so the inquirer floated a story can the, I back up and just ask a stupid question? Yeah. Why does the Inquirer care about what Jeff Bezos is doing? Are you going to get to that? I, yeah, I'm going to. Okay, great. I'm going to get to that. Awesome. Um, yeah, it's it's complicated and convoluted. So the Inquirer floated a story that uh, Lauren Sanchez's Trumpy brother had gotten the material and sold it to the Inquirer for two hundred thousand dollars, and he he did sell them some information, but they contacted him. And showed him text messages that they already had. Oh. So it, yeah, like he did sell them stuff for 200K, but. Yeah, thanks, bro. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. He, sorry, did I, I, I meant estranged brother. Yeah, for real. It turns out that Pecker and the Inquirer, shady to the core as always, were about to make a cataclysmic miscalculation. So the supermarket tabloid had only recently signed a non-prosecution agreement with federal prosecutors investigating its role in Donald Trump's 2016 campaign violations, campaign finance violations. One provision of that agreement was that the Inquirer, and I didn't know this was a thing that would go in these types of agreements, but here you go. The Inquirer could not commit any crimes whatsoever for three years, or the agreement was null. (laughs) I mean, like, yeah, you can't crime anymore. But I mean, it just that three-year provision just seems <laughs> arbitrary. We'd like you not to crime at all, but... Yeah, I guess the agreement has to expire at some point, but whatever. So after the January 10 expose, Jeff very publicly assigned a well-known security consultant named Gavin DeBecker... Oh, I've heard of that guy. Yeah. Okay, to work on tracking down how exactly, you know, Pecker and the Inquirer had gotten hold of his text messages to his girlfriend. In media reports, both men speculated that the Inquirer had created a political hit piece to benefit Donald Trump because uh, Jeff owns the Washington, the Amazon Washington Post. Fake news! Which, you know, I gather if that was the case, that could put the Inquirer on the wrong side of the non-prosecution agreement. And maybe doing crimes? Doing crimes again. What's funny is that people who are doing a lot of crimes these days don't necessarily understand or fully comprehend that they're doing crimes. It's just normal day-to-day business. It's Tuesday. Well, let's 
Talking about what comes next. Oh, speaking no. of speaking of continuing to crime. So I think this fear that Bezos was out there saying, like, no, this was a, a political smear. This prompts the inquirer to reach out to Jeff personally at the start of February and make him an extremely corrupt offer, but one that AMI seems to have been quite used to making against various people. They instructed him effectively to sign an eight-page-long contract that included requirements like issuing a public statement saying that there was no hacking, no hacking, and agree publicly that the story was not, quote, instigated, dictated, or influenced by external forces, political or otherwise. Oh, Jesus. And in exchange, the Inquirer would not publish the private photos that they'd stolen, including a dick pic. Christ on toast. What the fuck? (laughs) Okay. Jeff Bezos has enough money that he doesn't have to care. And so he heads to... there's fun, delicious trash candy, and then there's trash sewage. Yeah. Nobody ever, ever, ever wants to see anybody's dick pic. Yeah. Well, the internet gazillionaire uh, heads to his local keyboard and bangs out a post on medium.com titled, No Thank You, Mr. Pecker, (laughs) where he accused the company of blackmail and extortion, which it pretty clearly was. Extortion is like the word of the week. Extortion. Extortion. It's only fun if everybody's doing it. So this post on Medium also spun up a really interesting theory, positing that it was the Saudis under the direction of Mohammed bin Salman, also known as MBS, also known as Mohammed Bonesaw. That is the name I'm familiar with. Who had hacked his phone. Oh, God. Yeah. How does he get a hold of his phone to hack? Okay. So the security guy, DeBecker, he um, releases his report at the end of March. This is actually very sobering. The first time I read this, I was like, oh, my God, I hope this is all. I hope he's so wrong on this. Okay, so he writes that his team and, quote, several experts concluded with high confidence that the Saudis had access to Bezos's phone and gained private information. He goes on to drop this super alarming detail. Quote, experts with whom we consulted confirmed New York Times reports on the Saudi capability to, quote, collect vast amounts of previously inaccessible data from smartphones in the air without leaving a trace including Uh, phone calls, texts, and emails. Oh, my. Yeah. That's terrifying. Like, I cannot independently confirm that, but I know um, we're about to get to the murder of Jamal Khashoggi, but there was was a lot of speculation about how much, like, the... how much of his phone activity was viewable to Turkish authorities outside of the embassy where he was killed. Oh, my God. Okay. Jumping ahead. So, DeBecker linked the Saudi op against Bezos to the Washington Post's dogged coverage of the brazen murder of Post columnist Jamal Khashoggi the prior October. Yeah. So U.S. intelligence believes that Mohammed Bonesaw ordered that hit. This guy was a well-respected Saudi journalist who had been exiled because he had become a critic of both the American corrupt regime and the Saudi corrupt regime. He was murdered in the consulate, in the Saudi consulate in Istanbul and dismembered in-house and shipped out of the country in suitcases. MBS and, is a bad dude. Uh, MBS is a bad dude. DeBecker described a well-documented relationship between Mohammed Bonesaw and David Pecker of the Inquirer, including the detail that when MBS came to America in March 2018 for his first grand publicity tour, AMI created a 100-page ad-free glossy magazine called The New Kingdom to promote... You are joking. I'm not. 
I'm not, to promote him and his allegedly transformational vision of Saudi Arabia. So the dirt on all of these spider webs hurts my brain. Mm -hmm. It hurts it. Yeah. So De Becker obviously provided his report to U.S. law enforcement, and that is that process is ongoing. Bezos has sat for interviews about it. But he I mean, he's pursuing it as extortion and blackmail. So good for him. That meant that the non-prosecution agreement was suddenly a whole lot dicier than it had been. So the major investors at AMI freaked out as scandal after scandal enveloped the tabloid. They forced the company to sell the paper. And on April 18th, it was sold to the Hudson Group, which has all those airport bookstores. Oh, yeah. That's, Hudson News. Sure. That's what they do. Uh, notably, the oh, this was so funny. So the issue that exposed the affair back in January was not actually much of a seller. Because <laughs> nobody cares. Because, yeah. So you and I joke about like how we name our um, episodes and some of them we or anti-SEO. Yeah. Jeff Bezos is anti-SEO, at least to inquirer readers. Um, Or the king of SEO is a little ironic. Right. All right. So while all of that shit show was playing out in public and private, Jeff and McKinsey were negotiating terms with each other. And I really can't stress this enough. The Bezoses did not themselves have a trashy divorce, except for the spectacular backfire of an intrusion by the National Enquirer. Wow. In April, McKinsey tweeted out, Grateful to have finished the process of dissolving my marriage with Jeff with support from each other and everyone who reached out to us in kindness. And looking forward to the next phase as co-parents and friends. Happy to be giving him all of my interests in the Washington Post and Blue Origin and 75% of our Amazon stock plus voting control of my shares to support his continued contributions with the teams of these incredible companies. Seriously. She just sounds like a class act. Yeah. No, they... She gets a halo. I mean, sure, he's having kind of a trashy affair, I guess. But, like, I mean, I think they were separated when it started. I can't know. But, yeah, it just My seems... kids are grown. I want to write. Tori, uh, Tony Morrison taught me. I got shit to do that is not you, dude. Yeah. Interestingly, the papers were finalized by a judge on July 5th, which is the same day that Amazon launched in 1994. Really? So Independence Day. That's interesting. So McKinsey walks away with close to 20 million shares of Amazon stock worth around uh, 35 billion. Oh, okay. (laughs) She's the third richest woman in the world. Jesus Christ. She. (laughs) And I just want to sit in my little room and drink tea. And write my books all day. Basically, yeah. Wow. Yeah, I mean, at least one of their kids is in college now. Like, it, yeah. 36 but, billion? Thir- yeah, 35 billion. Um, I'm sure it fluctuates a bit based on Amazon stock price. But she also is apparently a much more charitable person than her ex-husband is. In May, she signed on to the Warren Buffett and Bill Gates project for extremely rich people called The Giving Pledge. where they agree to philanthropically donate half their fortunes in their lifetimes. Oh, wow. Well, that's a hell of an ambitious goal. mm -hmm. Yeah, she issued a very cool statement about it, too. She says, There are lots of resources each of us can pull from our safes to share with others. Time, attention, knowledge, patience, creativity, talent, effort, humor, compassion. Seriously, Mackenzie Bezos. She gets all the halos. All the halos. In addition to whatever assets life has nurtured in me. I have a disproportionate amount of money to share. My approach to philanthropy will continue to be thoughtful. It will take time and effort and care, but I won't wait. 
and I will keep at it until the safe is empty. Wow. So good for you, Mackenzie Bezos. Jeff Bezos notably has not signed the giving pledge, and <laughs> he has long been viewed as one of America's stingiest billionaires. Really? Yeah. Um, and I guess, I mean, it sounds like from that statement that her plan is actually to give away her entire fortune before she dies, but like Jeff is going to be making sure the kids are provisioned. Well, of course you take care of your kids and mm -hmm. set them up with enough, but I doesn't sound like she to me is going to be like, let's inherit wealth for right. the next 28 generations. Right. Let's use it. Use what you got. Let's fund the state of Washington for 10 months. <laughs> Kidding. Jeff and Lauren are still a thing. And Jeff has been on a bit of a real estate buying spree lately, dropping huh. $80 million for three Manhattan apartments. I don't know why he needs three. The couple has been spotted all over the world together, chilling at Wimbledon, attending Google Camp in Italy, and going to Saint-Tropez together. Okay. The Saudis have denied involvement in the Bezos phone hacking scandal, but the CIA has warned activists who worked with the probe that they're being targeted by Saudi intelligence. That tracks. Just yesterday, we learned that telephone conversations between Donald Trump and Mohammed Bonesaw are among those that have been improperly stored in codeword-only computer systems. I'm sure there's nothing to worry about there. Yeah, there's a lot more we don't know about than what we do know about. Yep. Yep, it's evolving. Anyway, that's the Bezos's. Holy cats. Um, on their own, I mean, they would have just like occasionally tweeted out a uber happy thing about how stuff was progressing. But instead, it cost AMI, the National Enquirer, <laughs> no criming for three years. How many trash cans, Stacey? Oh, well, again, I think Mackenzie Bezos. All the halos. Um, Can we give him some individually just I for think, his shitty work practices? Yeah, well, and like the, I don't I don't even know if like his having a girlfriend when his marriage is ending is a much of an offense, you know? But yes, for, for um, underpaying your employees and... All of that. Yeah, let's... Uh... Enabling us not to put on pants on a daily basis because we can just get it delivered here. It's true. So that's Halo's too, though, right? <laughs> <laughs> Halo's trash cans. I don't stop I mean, to let's give him 137 billion trash cans, but very, very clean and tidy and orderly ones. Perfect. That always get delivered on time yes. via your pantsless yes. drone. That will be there the next day. <laughs> Trash can prime. What? <laughs> that was a good story. It's convoluted. It, like I, that's part of why we've had to wait on this. Like people have been mentioning it to us since January, and I was like, well, we don't. There's more going on here. So very little real trash until the National Enquirer mm -hmm. and David Pecker decided to put his pecker in it. Yeah, but if the Saudis can access Jeff Bezos's phone. They can access anybody's phone. Yeah. yeah. Yikes. Yeah. For a while, I would like anytime there was a picture of him with a phone, I would scrutinize it to try to figure out whether it was iPhone or Android to see whether it, <laughs> am I safer or less safe than Jeff Bezos? <laughs> You're a nerd. <laughs> anyway, that's the Bezoses. That was awesome. Season four, Trashy Divorces. Woo! One and done. Off to a rich, eccentric, and uh, inventive start. Take the money and run. Take the money and run is Thanks, right. everybody, for tuning in to our season four premiere. 
Don't forget to catch our intro of side pieces this week on Patreon coming for you Wednesday. Trashy or Tudors too. So much good stuff there. Hope to see you on the flip on Patreon. Yep. Check us out in our Facebook group, Twitter. Have a great week. Keep it trashy. Billions and billions of trashy. Just so much trashy. Take the trash and run. Cheers, y'all. Keep it trashy. Bye. Bye. (laughs) And thanks to you for listening. Trashy Divorces is a Hemlock Creatives production created and produced right here in Atlanta, Georgia by us, Stacey and Alicia, with a little research and writing help from the brilliant Melissa O. Our art is by Sydney V. Smith. That's Sydney V. Smith at CarbonMade.com. And our music is used with permission of Ratsy. Check her out at Ratsy's store on Instagram. And definitely drop into Ratsy's store anytime you're in Oberlin, Ohio. You can contact us at TrashyDivorces at gmail.com or find us on the World Wide Web at TrashyDivorces.com. If you need more trash candy in your life, our Patreon community includes some of the very best humans around and thousands of hours of bonus content at every level of support. Join the fun at Patreon.com slash TrashyDivorces. Interested in some Trashy Divorces swag? Check out our merch shop and Trash Panda Enthusiasm Society at bit.ly slash trashy gear want to advertise with us reach out to sales at advertisecast.com for more information and last but not least come play with us on social media i keep most of our trashy divorces instagram hopping stacy and i share it up over on facebook including our trashy divorces podcast discussion group come join us over there and thanks again everybody for listening keep it trashy y'all